back to another episode of the Between the Lines podcast. Here I am today, coming at you with an NBA episode. I know I haven't had a podcast done in a while. It's been a good, what, four months, I'd say, maybe? Four or five months, at least three months. Uh, for a number of reasons, had exams, then some had a long break. But now I'm getting back to it. I guess as well you can say that there's just not really been too much to talk about. Also, there was off-season moves, which I'll get into for both NBA and the NFL. Going to do a lot more on football, like European football, talking about the Premier League, all that kind of stuff. But today, coming up with the NBA episode, I thought seeing as the season will be starting in coming October, so it's a bit of a while. So I thought you know there's going to be there's going to be a period there's not going to be much to talk about. So I thought I might as well do some stuff now. Therefore, I've got an episode on a two-part episode today and in the next few days on. Uh, standings prediction record prediction i'm not going to include the exact record but general standings uh this episode is going to be on the east as you'll tell by the title and the next episode which will be coming out very shortly will be on the west so obviously i'll see you know espn and all those networks say uh they've done their own predictions i haven't even read them so i want to you know have an unbiased prediction i think there's a very very known obviously you know they can um, change so easily with one move one team that could be you know my top four trade away a player, player gets injured, they could trade for a player, suddenly they jump higher or go way lower. I guess obviously that's how it works, but as any kind of sports fan, you already know that. So as I said today, I'm starting with the East. Now I think it's interesting the East, the East got so much stronger over the last the last year I'd say. I remember there's many memes being made, kind of jokes being made about the East about three years ago, especially when LeBron left, about two, three years ago when LeBron left, you know, it was very much a uh, very weak East, you know, it was seen almost like Gordon Hayward moving to Celtics was the only good thing for the East that happened, was that 20, 2017, 2018? But now the East are looking much, much stronger. I'd say, I mean, the East definitely have a clear, you know, 1-2, whereas the, the West is very deep, I'd say the West is probably deeper than the East, but it's, it's very much evened out, because I always say that you always say the West is stronger, let's say the past few years, the West is stronger, but it's also more deep where you have 10 teams that really should be making playoffs. But you can say the same with the East, the East now. I mean, the East, I've got, I'm going to obviously uh, go too early now. I've got, you know, can talk about that later in the podcast, but I've got teams like the Hornets and Pacers, who are solid teams. Like, you know, they're not a team that can scare you, but they've got some solid pieces. But, you know, they could, they could find themselves anywhere between up to maybe the fifth seed or sixth seed but also down at 10th seed because there is depth in the East now. So, starting off, as I said, with the East, they go Bucks number one. And the Milwaukee Bucks, I think, they are just insane. They're obviously known generally as quite like a, a regular season team. Only recently they've actually become a good postseason team, as shown by winning a title. Now, they haven't done too much in terms of strengthening their roster, I would say. They've obviously lost, they haven't lost too many big pieces. They lost uh, PJ Tucker, their, I would, their power forward, who was a really, really good utility player, great defender, lined up well with Yanis when they played Yanis at the five, or you could line up the four or the five. Um, just a real grit and grind player. As he, as he said, he's a dog. Um, that'll be, I think that will be you know, one of those losses where the casual NBA fan wouldn't really you know, look too hard into because he averaged about what, three points a game, four points a game. He's never going to give you more than five or six points a game. Few rebounds, few, maybe one or two assists, but I mean, his uh, how would you say his uh, what, he, what he brings to a team is much more than what's what you know comes up in the stat sheet. He will be able to defend one through five, defend their best player, um, and he takes pressure off. Of, let's say players like Giannis having to defend Kevin Durant. So, like, for example, in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals against the Nets, 
Peter Tuck had to do that for him. Damian Yanis could uh, relax a little bit on the defensive side, but still obviously you know control the paint if he really needed to. Now they tr they uh, recently traded for Grayson Allen, a young shooting guard out of uh, out of Duke, previously on the Memphis Grizzlies. He's a guy that came in. He was drafted, twenty one, uh, by Utah in twenty eighteen. Kind of one of those guys where I think I've had a lot of media coverage on him, but you know he hasn't really been doing too much. Um, in about uh, let's have a look. In about twenty five minutes per game last year, he averaged about ten points, three rebounds, two assists. Not terrible. I mean, uh, efficiency wise, forty two percent field goal, thirty nine percent from three. It's okay. I mean, what I find interesting though is actually not, not too important to basketball, but I feel like everyone's first impression of him is that he's a real. Just like I'm not a nice guy. Like, there's loads of stuff of him being like a dirty player, like kicking people, tripping people up on the court. Apparently he's actually a really nice person, but that's not too important for this. Generally, you know, they've retained their core of Yanis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. I do worry about the bench players around. They have players that can kind of come in and, you know, go off in certain nights, like a Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, Rodney Hood, um, Brooke Lopez obviously is a reliable centre. Also, also retained, which I think is a really, really underrated uh, re-signing, was Bobby Portis. Uh, he averaged 11 points per game and 7 rebounds about 20 minutes off the bench last year. And was really, really vital, that stretch big. He's really improved, actually, over the years. So, overall, I would say that I'd have Milwaukee at the top. I think, obviously, depth and strength-wise, they've lost a little bit. But I think, uh, I feel like teams are always overrated. Uh, oh underrate the Bucks. Um, they always end up, you know, putting something out of the bag. They could obviously make a trade if they needed to. Um, you know, I, I do think they'll be fine and they're going to retain in one spot, especially because I think now I'm going to go on to the Nets, I think it'll be uh, second seed. As I'm about to say, there's going to be some sort of injury. I mean, you saw they dealt with injuries to Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving last year. So obviously I think it's going to be rare if they don't deal with some sort of injury to those players. Especially because Kyrie, I'm pretty sure, has not played. Uh, he, he's not a season in his career where he's missed less than 10 games. So, you know, But the thing is, again, they're the Nets. They've got a trio of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving with bench players or you know, rotation, well, sorry, role players such as Joe Harris, um, DeAndre Jordan, Patty Mills, now they just signed, um, Blake Griffin, so Nicholas Claxton, Bruce Brown got a lot of good players that can come in and fill roles they need to. So that's why I think that even with injuries, I'll still be top seed. And they're going to be one of the teams where, I mean, look, if they don't have an injury, they'll be one seed and they'll be NBA Finals favourites, NBA Championship favourites, you'd say. Because I think obviously people, you know, when coming when the team just started out, they made a trade to get James Harden. People are thinking, oh, chemistry-wise, how it's going to work. Curry did not look happy to have um, another superstar there. But it worked brilliantly for them. Maybe it almost works better when there is one injured. There's a lot, you know, they can uh, become more ball dominant the way they they want to play. Maybe James Harden, Kyrie do love a bit of ball dominance, but they seem to, you know, work pretty well in harmony. And they have some really nice role players like Bruce Brown, Sean Carter. Sean Carter's a lovely perimeter defender, um, which is what they need, especially with Kyrie's lack of perimeter defensive talent. I guess you could say. And interesting, actually, is that I'm not going to go too much into this because it's just a record prediction. But um, I saw some rumors circulating around a Ben Simmons and Curry Irving trade, where I put Ben Simmons in Brooklyn and Curry Irving in Philly. 
And obviously you think, you know, Carrigan's way better than Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has just come off his, probably one of his worst years as a really, in a really bad place, probably mentally, I'd imagine, and also in terms of his uh, basketballing ability, I guess you'd say. Um, I think it's interesting, obviously, because you think, oh, why would, you know, Carrigan's much better, he's good friends with Kevin Durant, it just wouldn't make sense. But actually, they really need primitive defence. Uh, you think, oh, the scoring-wise, Ben Simmons isn't, isn't as good. Very correct. But do you really need more scoring when you already have Kevin Durant and James Harden? It almost means that they probably get more of an output. And then you take less pressure off, let's say, James Harden on the perimeter defense because you don't have to have him. You have Ben Simmons as a primary defender, who is one of the best defenders in the league. You know, he can guard the one through five. You know, obviously, if he goes up against some fives, it's not going to be the most fun experience for him. But he's six foot ten. He has the ability. He's obviously a really good primary ball handler. Just needs to work on his shot. But I think, obviously, because with the Nets, everyone can shoot. It's not really that much of a uh, a priority for him to learn to shoot. Seeing the spacing-wise isn't too much of a problem. Especially if you, have, if you have players like Blake Griffin sitting in the corner and Joe Harris sitting in the corner, um, along with all their other role players who can shoot. Now, as I'm not spent, trying to not spend too long on each team, going to third, we have the 76ers. The 76ers, you know, there's always question marks on the team. It always seems like, oh, they're not going to be as good this year, and they end up doing well. Now, obviously, last year wasn't as great. Um, they made some interesting signings. They've been quite quiet, which I think is a reason for that. Is they've really been you know, looking at the market in terms of maybe a Dame Lillard trade, maybe another point guard, like a, obviously Curry Irving, potentially. But I still think they've made some decent moves. It's interesting they signed players such as Andre Drummond to a minimum deal. If you first get Andre on a minimum, when you know his ego is as big as it is, when he just come off a what two years ago he was on a max contract, like about 25, 26 million a year, so not too bad business there. Obviously, I don't know how chemistry wise that worked from him and Joel Embiid. I wonder if they try certain lineups where obviously Andre Drummond would be coming off the bench. I wonder at times when they would maybe put Joel at the four, but then you know mobility wise they are two very slow players, but I doubt that. Uh, they have lovely role players like Tyrese Maxey, Furkan Korma's a really good knockdown shooter, Shake Milton. Um, Jaden Springer, uh, the the guard they drafted out of Tennessee, he's only eighteen years old. Also, him T. Stiles were a great perimeter defender. Um, and again, Seth Curry, one of the best shooters in the league, currently only making eight million a year. I think is a steal. Now, I think as well, this thing's you know, I think regardless if they make a trade or not, like let's say for a Dame Lillard, I think they, their um, record will stay the same, or in terms of general standings. I think Bucks and Nets, you're not really able to push them off the one or two spot. I think it's interchangeable between those two. But I think there's also like a, this is a secondary tier now. Obviously, if they make a trade, let's say they Lillard, they manage to keep some really good assets, such as Tobias Harris, um, such as, a, let's say, like someone like uh, Tyrese Maxey redevelops, a 20-year-old point guard out of Kentucky. If he develops, take a step forward. If he's not in the trade package, that would be great for them. But that would be very rare. I, I would imagine that if the Dame, Dame Lillard was traded, it would look like for Ben Simmons, Jaden Springer, Tyrese Maxey, Shane Milton, plus loads of picks, maybe even Tobias Harris as well. It's like a salary cap. Now moving on with the four C's, I think this would be a bit interesting. I um, I was hesitant to put this in, especially because I am a Miami Heat fan, but I actually put the Hawks at four. I think you know a lot of people tell me this is recency bias, sounds like I'm just a casual, or I just saw that they made, you know, they did really well in the playoffs, but, you know, they have a very, very good team. A 
very very good team and as well they're not just like it's a very good team they're very young they're hungry they're willing to to learn and really, really want to win i mean they've got such good depth you look at in terms of guard play obviously they have um trey young they've done right lou williams they have um kevin hurt at the two they have a backup uh, they also have bogdan bogdanovich as well uh, he's a great scorer off the bench averaging about 17 points a game is the average 16 points a game um in terms of wings, I think wings are their real strength. They have um, obviously Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, DeAndre Hunter. They have Cam Reddish, and they also just drafted um, what's his name, Jalen Johnson, the six foot nine wing out of Duke, who's currently lighting up. Who, who, or sorry, who just had light lit it up in the summer league. Well, I think he averaged over twenty points a game. They also have really good young players as well, Onyeka Kungwu, who's almost like an understudy to Clint Capella. With very similar players, really good defensively around the rim. Yeah, I mean, they've been apparently rumoured to be looking into potentially trading DeAndre Hunter, who is the 6'8 wing out of Virginia. He's come off uh, averaging about 15 points a game on 32% from sh shooting from the three. I think obviously if he improves that three-point shooting, he'll be a very, very valuable asset. Apparently there's been links with him to the Cavs. I wonder who they trade from there. Maybe um, Chetty Osman, but they're quite similar players, but Chetty just lacks the defensive ability that Cam uh, DeAndre Hunter has. Anyway, they're a very good deep team. Also have players such as Gorju Jeng at the center position. They're just, yeah, it's just every single position you look at, there's depth and talent. Um, I wonder, obviously if there's gonna be a point where it's unsustainable, they're not going to have everyone, because a lot of their depth is actually rookies or young players on rookie contracts. So I wonder what obviously probably be forced in making moves to trade these players, because obviously, they only want some deals and sometime in the future in the next few years. But um, if it's managed well, they can probably really get some other good assets and just keep the cycle going of having always young, uh, high potential players in the starting lineup or off the bench. I think they've really had a good turnaround because since they had that new coach beforehand, it was looking really bleak at the start of the season. They had a lot of potential, but it wasn't the output wasn't what they what people wanted. Now it's looking very very positive. Um, but again, with the Hawks, they could get a bad injury. They could not play as well. They could drop to the seventh seed, maybe. But I think, I think the four seed, they're not going to go higher than the four seed. I think. But I think, I think um, they should have. I think it's a realistic possibility. I think it's a right level of confidence having that team. Now, fifth seed, I have the Miami Heat, my team. Uh, they made some really, really good moves this off season. Voted, I think, as ESPN as some of the best. They signed, I mean, they signed 35-year-old point guard Carl Lowry from uh, Toronto to sign and trade. They sent Goran Dragic to point guard and Precious Achiwa, the center, to Toronto. Carl Lowry is obviously very old, 35 years old. He's you know, not going to be around too, too much longer. I'd give him maybe two more years of top play. He just came off averaging 17 points per game and seven assists on 40% from three and 43% from uh, the field, generally. Um, he's just 35, that was very impressive. And obviously, you know, He's not, he's not like a main scorer, he's a main facilitator, who can score by good shooting and a good hustle player generally. He's he's a, he's only six foot tall, but he averages about five rebounds, so he's a you know a feisty player which perfectly fits the Miami scheme. The only thing I only thing I wonder is really going on another signing they made was obviously PJ Tuck, which I mentioned before. They also signed Markeith Morris, which is gonna be a back, the backup four, just from uh signing from the, the Lakers, in which he averaged about six points four rebounds. My only concern with the Heat is what is going to be their deal with scoring. They have no real primary scorer. They have a lot of secondary and tertiary scorers. Um, I guess we'll wait to see how players develop. Like Bam Bio 
seems like every year he's developing into you know becoming this new scorer. His confidence is increasing. He developed a really good mid range shot in which now he's just averaged about nineteen. He's averaged eighteen points a game, five assists, and with nine rebounds. Um, if he's able to develop a three point shot or gain more consistency in his mid range, in which he's already relatively efficient. He can become the primary scorer at the moment. You know, Jimmy Butler is leading scorer about twenty-one points a game, but there's no. But obviously, he has problems with efficiency at times. He's lackluster th- from three, so there is a real question where, let's say, down the line in the playoffs or in really important games, who is your go-to guy to score? Jimmy Butler can be that guy and has shown shown to be that guy. Let's say in the finals against the Lakers two years ago, or a year ago and a bit at this point, um, but. It's not reliable, it's not consistent. If you want to be a championship contender, you need that consistency. If a young player in Tyler Herrick come off the bench, uh, just averaged 15 points a game and three assists, and which was seen as a real down year for him, and you know people were calling him Bubble Hero, which to an extent was true, but he was a third, you know, the third leading scorer of the team. If he's able to develop more, become a more reliable scorer, you could see him potentially reach the 20s, but that's quite aspirational, I would say. Now moving on to six with the Celtics. The Celtics... An interesting offseason, they haven't really done too much. Again, this could be like the Philly, they're waiting for a big trade that had their eyes on play like Bradley Beal for a while. As long as they keep the core of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum together, they're going to do well. They've had a nice rotation players now in Ennis Cantor, re-signing him, uh, Al Horford, Chris Dunn at the point guard position. They have nice rotation players as well. Aaron Neesmith's really becoming a reliable player off the bench, uh, the 21-year-old out of Vanderbilt. They also traded for Josh Richardson, a Miami Heat fan favorite, I'd say. Kind of hopped around the league a little bit since departing the Heat three, two, three years ago. Played for Philly, then Dallas, and now Boston. He's a semi-reliable uh, two-way wing out of Tennessee. And they also signed Dennis Schroeder. They also re-signed Marcus Smart and re-signed Robert Williams. So it's like they have a good team, but it's not good enough, I'd say, to really challenge for title or even get past their whole Eastern Conference Finals, even the semi-finals potentially. And if they make a trade, which they have some pieces of trade away, they have young players such as Roman Langford, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, maybe obviously uh, Jalen Brown if they need to. They could make a trade plus players like Bradley Beal, maybe Damian Lillard, I guess we'll see. At the moment though, with their current roster, I can't see them being higher than the sixth seed or, or maybe the fifth. Uh, I'd say a fourth seed is their, is their ceiling. I can't say it's too much more. Moving on, at seven with the Bulls. Bulls made some really interesting acquisitions. Some people said it was, you know, way overpriced. Let's say, where they uh, they signed Lonzo Ball to eighteen million a year. They signed Demar Rose to twenty six million a year. It's an interesting team. Very interesting. I mean, it's it's. I think it's pretty well balanced in terms of let's say a backcourt of Lonzo Ball and Zach Levine. A perfect balance of defensive ability and playmaking in Lonzo, but also who has a good three point shot and also Zach Levine, a pure scoring guard. Then a small forty of Demar Derozan, lack of three point shooting made up by his real good slashing ability and leadership, and then a four year Patrick Williams who I'd put there, who's almost like a he seems like the the young prospective Kawhi Leonard, um, obviously not there yet, but he's a good defender, a good uh, stretch four, a center Nikola Vucevic, a really good scoring center, and also really good young players off the bench like Kobe White, Larry Markkinen who could get moved but at the moment he's on the team. Um, Ayuda Sonomu, Devin Dotson, Alex Caruso was a really nice underrated signing. He's a really good defensive player and will back up Alonzo Ball in those minutes, keeping defensive consistency. But the problem is with their team, it's new. There's not really a you know a proper star. 
I do worry about their big man defence with the Vucevic at the, at the centre. He's a great scorer, but he cannot defend. And obviously down the line against players like in the East against Joel Embiid, Bama Bayo, um, Yanis, their interior defence may take a hit. Now at eight, I have the Knicks. The Knicks really proved that they could really go above expectations last year. They finished the four seed. I think they could do too. I think the four seed obviously is their is their um their ceiling. Realistically, they go between the eighth and the sixth. I th- I'd say maybe eighth and the fifth. Now again, they they're a team that could be you know waiting for a trade such as Dave Lillard. Um, as they you know they were in need of point guard. However, they recently uh, signed Kemba Walker. After he was brought up the Oklahoma City Thunder. So they have a very nice, well-rounded team. My only concern is they have no real star player, like superstar player, should I say. Their best player so far is um, Julius Randle. And he's redeveloped into a star. My only problem is is that he showed that last year in the playoffs he was really inconsistent and could not take the load. He obviously averaged um, 24 points a game, uh, 10 rebounds, 6 assists in regular season, which is brilliant. Postseason, however, um, he obviously did, was not as good, where he averaged about 18 points a game. Obviously, yeah, it's his first major postseason being the number one guy on the team, so it's going to take time to develop. Uh, obviously, they have really good supporting sporting players like RJ Barrett, who's really the rising star, kind of where he just averaged about 17 points per game, nearly 18 points per game. They also have players such as Amanda Quickly, a really nice developing guard. They have Obi Toppin, who has loads of potential, but has not really seemed to hit that potential yet. Derek Rose off the bench. It's an interesting team. They have, they have nice depth where if there's a big injury, they will be prepared. But as I said, there's no real proper uh, proper superstar where it's going to be you know really contending in the toughies. So that's why I'm the eighth seed. But again, it can fluctuate. Now at nine, I have the Hornets. Hornets made some nice signings and getting players like uh, Kelly Oubre and hopefully uh, Leandro Ball on the team. But for now, I have them as a fringe. Yeah, they'll, they'll be in the play-in as I predicted here, the nine seed. But they won't go much further. Further, they need to give time to the players to develop. They're such a nice young core: Melo Ball, James Booknight, Miles Bridges, uh, Vernon Carey Jr., Kai Jones. Um, who else? There's one more player: uh, PJ Washington and JT Thor as well. I'm just listing names at this point, but they've a really nice young core. They just need time to develop. Uh, they've got a nice mix of players like Mason Plumley and Kelly Oubre as the veterans that can help lead the team. However, you know their team and Gordon Hayward. Sorry, I forgot Gordon Hayward as well one of their best players at this point. However, as I said, they lack that experience where you know, they would make a push in the postseason. As I said, I can see them potentially getting to the seventh seed. You know, obviously, they're here the ninth in the play-in. But I think give this team a few more years to get them to gel, get them to find their best line five with their bench players. Also, Terry Rozier, sorry, I forgot to say, they just re-signed to a big deal. Um, who'd be a really good scoring for either as a starting two or off the bench as a sixth man, who I think I think as a sixth man he'd work brilliantly going up against backup point guards and shooting guards. But yeah, overall, just lack of experience will be the the, uh, the Achilles heel of this team. But I think it's a really exciting team to follow, and in a few years' time, they'll be really success- successful. At 10 are the Pacers. I'm not really sure the direction the Pacers are going through on this. They've always been, the last few years, now just a decent team, but just not good enough. They've really been aggressive in making moves. Um, I made a few. For example, like the acquisition of Malcolm Brogdon in a uh, free agency. I bought him off the, uh, got him off the Milwaukee Bucks. Also, they trade of Carisabert. It was a nice nice trade as well. Um, but yeah, it's just they have a decent team. Let's say if you name their starting lineup, Malcolm Brogdon, Carisabert, TJ Warren, 
um, Demontis Sabonis and Miles Turner. Demontis Sabonis is an all-star. He's that top star in that team. Apart from that, everyone is just decent. Just they're just good, but they're not. There's no real leading superstar. Um, yeah, they're just overall just average, bang on average. And in this really tough deep East, they can't really get away with that anymore. Obviously, if you know hypothetically, it would be great if they could make a move, maybe trade for a star. Um, obviously, not to be stars for trade at the moment, especially this late in the off season. But they're just bang on average for me. And obviously, there'll be teams that you can never take lightly. You know, in the playoffs, especially in the play-in, maybe never going to be a team that's going to go. Okay, this is a walkover. But at this moment in time, I just don't see them as a challenging team. At Eleven with the Washington Wizards. They recently signed Spencer Dinwiddie, traded for Carl Kuzma, Montrez Harrell. They've a nice team. They've an okay team. It's just nothing special. Nothing that really. You know, I don't understand Bradley Beal's desire to stay there. I understand loyalty's a factor, but they haven't really done much to show that they're really a team willing to help Bradley Beal contend. Sure, they brought in Russell Westbrook last year, trained John Wall, but just a team of Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook is not going to contend, especially as I said so many times in a tough East this year. Um, you know, now they've brought in what Spencer Dinwiddie instead. He's a nice player, a perfect six man, just starting point guard with not much else in terms of. Uh, Guard scoring apart from Bradley Beal, I don't see how it's ever going to you know, be something to attract players. Especially as well, you need to be aggressive because Washington is not really a great free agent destination. You have to be aggressive in trades. I just think if you're not going to you know, improve this team, you may as well trade Bradley Beal while he's in his prime and get what you can for him. At 12, with the Raptors. The Raptors are in a really interesting position. They're you know, not a great team, they're also not a terrible team. I think they're being quite underrated, to be honest. I think as I have them here, they have really good players in OG Nanobi, um, Chris Boucher, Pascal Siakam, and Fred Van Vliet. The problem is, I, I mean, I think Pascal Siakam is going to be traded at one point. Uh, Gary Trent as well, shooting guard out of Duke, who they acquired from the Portland Trailblazers in the Norman Powell trade last year. However, I just think that this team is not good enough to compete. They got, you know, they're probably going to trade Pascal Siakam. I think they probably should while they can. He's 27, same as Fred VanVleet. They're in their prime, but they're not good. They're good, not going to compete. They need that leading leading style that they had in Kawhi Leonard, but they need to, you know, actually be aggressive. But they actually, well, they were aggressive for once. Made that trade. They need to do the same thing again. Either they make a trade to bring a star next to Pascal Siakam, or they trade them away. They have nice young pieces in Precious Achiwa, recently part of the Miami Heat. OG Nanobi, Scotty Barnes, who's recently drafted fourth overall out of. Florida State. We also have Chris Boucher. Like, oh, actually, sorry, I was going to say he's young. He's 28. He's not young at all. Malachi Flynn as well. Stan, uh, and uh, Gary Trent, as I said. Apart from that, not a great team. I think they could hover. They could easily become the ninth seed, of the ninth seeds or the tenth seed, and make the play in. But I just don't see them as really a team to take too seriously. Apart from now and then, in terms of a uh, good run of form. Thirteen. I'll go through this quickly. All in the Magic. They're a really nice young team. Really, really good future. Just at the moment, they're not going to contend for much. They have nice players: uh, Cole Anthony, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr. So they're sorry, Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs at the point. Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter is the center. Marco Fultz at the point as well. RJ Hampton. They have really, really good depth at point guard and shooting guard, especially young as well. But be interesting how that works. Where they may make some trades uh, to trade away some of these young talent because obviously they have a real overload there. I'm sure so there'll be high in, high in demand. There'll be many teams wanting a good young point guard. Could potentially see Markel Fultz on the move after he's made his career revival in Orlando, which he just come off a season averaging. Quickly check here. What was he averaging? He was averaging. 
about 13 points and 5 assists in about 26 minutes. Give him a bigger role, allow him to develop more and you know, regain that confidence. He could easily be going to the, you know, the late teens, early 20s. Now, we also have a 14, the Pistons. Again, not as nice young core as the uh, Magic, I would say, but a really good young core of you know, Sadiq Bey, Cade Cunningham, Sekudin Boyer, Killian Hayes, um, Dennis Smith Jr., potentially Isaiah Stewart as well. It's just, again, they, they need that sense of direction. They need to form, form chemistry in that group, develop together. i say in three years' time, you could take them seriously as a, you know, a, a middle payoff seed. But at the moment, they're not there. Then 15, the Cavs. I have no idea what the Cavs are doing, to be honest. There's nice young players, but they don't have much of a sense of direction in which they, you know, they um, drafted Evan Mobley uh, second overall. No, sorry, third overall. But then re-signed Jared Allen to a massive deal paying 20 mil a year. They have nice players in Darius Garland. Might trade away um, Colin Sexton. It's weird. Their, their team is much better than you know a fifth, how a 15 seed would look. I think this dysfunction is the problem here. And, you know, where Colin Sexton might want to leave, Darius Garland might be leaving. It just seems like a lot of dysfunctionality, not working together as a group. This sounds like a lot of waffle. It's the best way for to describe them. But um, yeah, I might go obviously more in depth and detail other times, but I want to keep this podcast relatively short, even though it's already gone on for about nearly half an hour. But uh, that's all for today. I'll be giving you a West edition in the next few days. So look forward to that. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you all next time.